Some of us have been reading together on Thursday nights a wonderful book called Beyond Religion by a guy known as the Dalai Lama. He's actually the 14th Dalai Lama, a Buddhist monk from Tibet. As you may know, Tibet is not an independent country at this point, but is part of China. And there's kind of an ongoing tension over Tibet. The Dalai Lama is the leader, the spiritual leader of those people, and there's this kind of tension. So this past Friday in the New York Times, there was an article about the Dalai Lama and the government of China, and there's a conflict going on over whether or not the Dalai Lama will reincarnate into another Dalai Lama after he dies. He's about 80 years old. And the Dalai Lama recently said, apparently, that he might choose not to reincarnate. That was his comment, just let the line come to an end. And the government of China responded that it was their decision whether or not he would reincarnate. (laughs) I don't mean this as a way of, of criticizing the government of China, what I think it shows to us is how differently people on this planet see reality. How extraordinarily differently we perceive reality in different cultures on our planet. As a matter of fact, both the Dalai Lama's view and the government of China's view would be not part of mainstream views of reality in our country, neither one. And so we see what an interesting world we live in and what a predicament we're in that people see reality in just totally different ways. We all know that our planet faces serious problems. Climate change is deadly serious and war seems seems to keep going on in our human culture. It seems remarkably clear that we human beings have to find some ways to solve the major problems that we have on the planet, and it just seems almost overwhelmingly likely that we're going to have to do it in some kind of cooperative way. And that means that we're going to have to figure out ways of working with people who see things in these radically different ways. Because otherwise, we're not going to be able to work cooperatively, and if we can't work cooperatively, it's very difficult to see how these major problems will be addressed. That's, that would be sort of the, that's the fix we're in, we could say. So how could we do that? How could we find a way so that we could work cooperatively with people all over the planet who might share a completely different worldview from the one we have? And that's really kind of the problem that the Dalai Lama addresses in his book. We don't really have a common framework or common understanding of reality that we could use. You know, if we were all Jewish, you know, we could say, well, it's the Ten Commandments and it's the laws and the Torah. We're all going to do that. But there isn't any likelihood that everybody's going to become Jewish, or that everybody's going to become Muslim, or that everybody's going to become Hindu, or that everybody's going to become atheist, or there isn't any likelihood, really, that 
this is, is all going to merge into one point of view. We are living in a diverse world. And I think that's the world we have to work with, at, at least as far as I can see down the road. It is almost like we come from different planets, except we don't. We come from the same planet, and we have to share it together. So this idea of framing a global ethic has been around for a while. Is there a possibility of an ethical system that could be shared by everyone on the planet? That's the question. Because if there were, then that would give us some common way to talk about the problems on the planet and go about doing something about them. I first heard this idea of a global ethic when I was at the 1993 Parliament of the World's Religions in Chicago, and I heard it from a Catholic theologian, a German Catholic theologian named Hans Kung, who is a fascinating character. You can go Google that, but don't do it now, please. It's K-U-N-G. Then you'll start checking Facebook and everything else. And then I, my work is over, right? Don't do it now. The next person I heard really delve into this was a woman named Karen Armstrong, who has talked in Peoria, by the way. She spoke at Bradley a number of years ago. I don't know if you saw her or not. She's an amazing thinker. She leads a movement called the Charter for Compassion, which is another thing you can check out, but not now. Charterforcompassion.org, where she argues that compassion is the central value that we can all share. Nirma just said that, as a matter of fact, just about three minutes ago. One of her colleagues and collaborators in the Charter for Compassion is this man known as the Dalai Lama, the same Dalai Lama I was just telling you about, a Buddhist monk, and a widely respected global religious leader. The Dalai Lama is widely revered and respected, but not everywhere. But not everywhere. I want to share a couple of his ideas this morning about the possibility of developing a global ethic. I'm just going to give you a little sketch because there isn't time, but, but uh, you can come and join us on Thursday night or uh, whatever you like, or we can go down to Panera's and talk about it sometime if you want. He begins by making the observation that was in our opening words this morning that everyone wants to be happy and that people do not want to suffer. That's his starting point. Everybody wants to be happy, and people do not want to suffer. People would rather go on vacation than have a toothache. Does that sound right to you? People would rather have a good time than be miserable. Now, that doesn't mean that there might not be certain psychological conditions where we get caught in some sort of misery trap. But in general, people want to be happy and they don't want to suffer. So that's his starting point. And what he says is that we all share that common feature. Everybody. So all of us, all the people in China, all the people in India, all the people who disagree with us politically, they all want to be happy too. 
all the police, all the demonstrators, everybody. Everybody has that desire. So this is a radically uniting quality of humanity. And probably beyond humanity too. Leave that for just a moment. So everybody wants to be happy. We don't want to suffer. Nobody wants to be tortured. Nobody that I know. That's not what we want. So in this sense, we are all radically the same and radically equal. We are the same and we're equal in the sense we're equally human, we're equally beings who seek for happiness and try to avoid suffering. So that, that's the first step in this little uh, progression I'm going to present to you. Now the Dalai Lama says that we only need one more ingredient here and then we'll have the foundation of a global or universal ethic. We need one more ingredient. And the ingredient he says that we need is actually something in our UU principles. Although I don't think that's why he put it in there. <laughs> I don't know if he knows the UU principles or not, but it's in our UU principles and he says that's the other ingredient you need and that is called interdependence. Interdependence. So he says, we're all beings that want happiness and don't want suffering, and we are interdependent. We are all interdependent with each other and with other beings and realities on the planet. We're not independent beings. We're interdependent beings. As a matter of fact, we human beings could not survive at all if we were not totally taken care of as babies. We just wouldn't make it through the first, we wouldn't make it through the first month or even week. We are radically dependent on other people. So being a baby would be the first example of that. We're, we're one of the creatures that has the longest time period too of being dependent. We're dependent for quite a long time. People make jokes about that, as a matter of fact, how long we're actually dependent. Somebody said it's through graduate school. I don't know. <laughs> but that's, that's a different line of thought. Every time we drive our car and go out here, and if there's a green light when we get to Sterling, and we take a left turn or go through Sterling, we trust everybody who's got a red light to stop, don't we? We trust all those people that they're not going to run through that intersection and hit us. We're doing that all the time, trusting other people and interacting in interdependent ways. We trust taxi drivers. We trust airline pilots. We trust surgeons. Look at how we trust medical people. We lie down on a table and they say, start counting, what, at 100 and go backwards, and you get to about 97, and it's, you're gone. We trust them to do these amazing things. So we put ourselves in their hands. And then somebody says, wake up. You know, we say, what happened? We may not want to know all, everything that happened, but. 
If somebody shoots somebody in Paris, it sends shockwaves through our whole world. If somebody dumps something in the river, it changes our life. So in every aspect of our life, we are interdependent with other people and other beings. That, that's who we are. That's who we are. If bankers make unethical decisions, we can all lose our houses, can't we? If somebody makes some bad decisions, it happened about five years ago, didn't it? All right, so here's how he puts it together. We are all seeking happiness, and we are all hoping and trying not to suffer, and we're totally independent with each other on that journey. Therefore, he says, the only thing that makes sense is to try to act so that everyone wins. That's the only thing that makes sense. The only thing that makes sense is to try to have, to build a community where we care about other people. Because that's how we survive too. You know, if we, it's not fun to live in a war zone. We don't want to do that. Uh, at one of the other parliaments, I went to a workshop with some people from Afghanistan, and they talked about how there were people in Afghanistan, the kids and young people in Afghanistan have never lived when there was not a war going on. They've never lived where there's not a war going on. So if we want to have our happiness, which most of us do, then we need to communally create that world that everyone is contributing to the happiness of others because that's our interdependent life. And so that's his argument. And he says, so we need to develop an ethic of compassion. Compassion means caring about others, caring what happens to others and doing something about it. So we need to develop an ethic of compassion because that's what would lead to a our happiness. Now, by the way, I want to make note of the fact he doesn't refer to religion in any of this. He says there's, it won't work to do this through religion because nobody can agree on religion. And everybody just starts fighting about that. And lots of people are not religious. As a matter of fact, lots of people are not religious, especially in a place like China, which is a major player in the world. So he says we, can, we need to act for the welfare of all. We need to act to make others happy and to eliminate their suffering because we are interdependent. There's a great quote from Robert Ingersoll, by the way, the great agnostic who lived in Peoria for many years, where he's, you may remember this, he says the way to be happy is to make others happy. It's the exact same idea. It's the exact same idea. So he says we need to develop a culture of compassion where we all work to make others happy. And this becomes the central idea of a universal ethic of compassion. It leads us to become adept at seeing the suffering of others and working to alleviate it. And you know what? We all do this, actually. We do it at least for our family and friends. Almost all of us. 
we tend to do that within our circle of family and friends. But usually we draw the line somewhere and say, no, not those people over there. Not those people. They're different. They're not us. I don't have to be nice to them because they're not nice people. So usually we build some barrier somewhere and we make that kind of us and them distinction. But the problem with that is that that inevitably leads to conflict. And so eventually you get wars out of that if you do that, you know, and you keep doing that. And then the war does not make you happy. And it probably leads to suffering. So it doesn't fulfill our goal. So it's not useful for us to make those kind of distinctions. We need to keep expanding the circle out and out as far as we can. And because the rate of interdependence is accelerating a lot due to these kinds of devices, this is becoming more true all the time at an increasing rate. A virus in Africa can affect us in the United States. Even without having the virus do too much in the United States, it drove us crazy for about three months. Nobody could talk about anything else except that virus. In the global village, there's no wise choice other than to extend the circle of compassion wider and wider to eventually include all people. And then really not just the people, but all beings. That's, that's where it has to go eventually. And all that is in motion. All that is in motion. That would be peace on earth, or at least that's the direction of peace on earth. That is the direction wherein lies our happiness and actually our survival. Because if we don't do this, the dangers are extraordinary. So this may seem like some, you know, this is the kind of stuff people talk about on Sunday morning and, you know, but it isn't actually. We have survival issues on the planet and this is the way to go, or at least it's a candidate for that. All right, the Dalai Lama says we need one more thing to add to compassion to make it work. And that element he calls discernment. Discernment. So what does that mean? Discernment is knowing what to do that has the best chance of working. So discernment is understanding how the world works. It's, in Unitarian Universalism, we would call this reason. We would call this reason. As a matter of fact, the Dalai Lama uses that word too. He says discernment is reason. It's thinking about what a problem is understanding it with the very, very best tools you have at that moment and determining what the course of action is that would have the best chance of success. For example, um, there are people right now who, some people who think that um, climate change is not real, okay? Or that we had nothing to do with it. It's just not anything for us to do anything about. So I think that would be what we would call a failure of discernment. That's not thinking it through clearly. That's not paying attention to the facts that we know and all the data that we have. It's just not, not paying attention to that. So discernment means that we use all our analytical 
and scientific knowledge to figure out the best way forward. Just compassion may not do it. If someone has Ebola, we don't just give that person a big group hug. <laughs> That's a failure of discernment. If the compassion part's all right, but the discernment is off. So you can't just hug everybody out of this. You have to think about what to do and make an intelligent and wise and informed decision. We need to be wise about how we love people. I have to mention that I believe these two sides of the global ethic coin resonate nicely with Unitarian Universalism, although I do not think the Dalai Lama set it up with that in mind. But I think it's a happy coincidence that our universalist heritage is the message of inclusive love, loving everyone, universal compassion. That's the universalist message. That's the compassion side. Everyone is included, included just because they exist, just because they are beings who want happiness. And our Unitarian side emphasizes reason, clear analysis, understanding of facts, and the wisdom of science. That's the discernment part. Obviously, our traditions are more complex than that, but they, it's fascinating that we have these two tendencies in our tradition, the compassion side and the discernment side. And these two together make a powerful package. So we should extend our compassion to all and we should use all of our analytical powers to make compassion really increase happiness and alleviate suffering. We should not waste our compassion resources but use them wisely. We need to love wisely. So from this dual foundation of compassion and discernment, the Dalai Lama thinks we can build a way of being in the world that makes life on this planet viable, equitable, and responsible. We can alleviate mountains of suffering. Not all of it, but mountains of suffering and spread happiness far more than we do at this point in history. And we should not think that compassion means giving in to injustice. That is this, one of the arguments that, that is used against this line of thinking is, well, we're just going to be nice to everybody and they're just going to walk all over us. But actually, compassion makes people stronger. And if you look at some of the great examples of social activism and fighting against injustice in our time, we had two candles lit about it just a few minutes ago. The King movement the so was the most powerful social activist movement we have ever seen in our country. And it was founded on compassion and the inclusion of all. So, this is another good talk for us to have about whether compassion makes us stronger. What should we do if we want to pursue this path? One important step is to expand our compassion. And there are ways to do that. Meditation is a way of doing that. There are other kinds of exercises. Volunteering can be a way to do that. There can be lots of ways to expand our compassion. Go to Nirma's class and she'll tell you how to expand your compassion 
to animals. There's all kinds of opportunities for us to grow in that direction. And then we need to improve our discernment and become better decision makers with the end in improving the welfare of all, not just a few. See, when you do discernment without compassion, then you end up becoming the 1%. You know, you have all the good, quick ideas, but you don't have the compassion. So that becomes a selfish cycle. So you have to have both of those together. This is only the beginning of the discussion, I know, and there's so much to explore and learn and experience, but this is a pathway worth exploring. He begins by saying, I am an old man, and this is what I have to tell humanity. This is my message. I won't be here that much longer. This path does not contradict any religion, and it does not require any religion. It works fine either way, and it doesn't favor any religion. And it doesn't favor not being religious. We need to find a way to live and work together on this planet that transcends all the boundaries of culture, religion, race, nationality. If we don't find that way, our problems are extraordinarily serious and they won't be solved without serious cooperation. In the words of Shanti Deva that MB read, as no one desires the slightest suffering, nor ever has enough of happiness, there is no difference between myself and others. So let me make others joyfully happy. So may it be. <laughs>